Welcome, fellow acolytes. I am your very um, hungry Sith Lord, and with me today is. I can't even right now. Why? Hungry Sith Lord. Yes. I am the Lady of the Sith, and I am. Uh, I've been fed, so I'm not hungry. <laughs> I would like to eat the food. Chicken fried steak, preferably. Ew. <laughs> um, this is a podcast in which we talk about all of Star Wars chronologically until we die. Books, we break down chapter by chapter. Comic book runs will be broken down by issue, and series will be broken down by episode. And movies, well, you just get us talking about the movies. Before we get started, we need to play some hollows for you all. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WayfinderPod. You can follow me on Twitter personally at JabbaWanawanga. Are you ever going to be able to do that without like... No. JabbaWanawanga. No. Makes me crack up every He's time. He's no Jedi. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at DarthLadyShaw. Yes, and all these will be in the description below. If you want to leave a donation, there will be a link in the description for you to do so. We are 100% listener-funded, no sponsors, and we pay our artists and composers, so it isn't free. Plus, I want to send my son to Galaxy's Edge. I'm going to keep beating that dead horse. Got to kick that in there somewhere. Yes. So go get you some merch from Why Not Stuff at teespring.com forward slash store forward slash Why Not Stuff. He did our logo. It's a kick-ass logo. Make sure you go and support him. He'll have some Star Wars stuff up. And if you want music for your podcast or maybe you just want your own personal soundtrack to listen to the composition over your life all the way to your funeral. Like, you know, when people pass away and they play music in memoriam, maybe you want a soundtrack for your life. Go get some great compositions from Augusto Denise. He's over at Fiverr.com. His profile will also be in the description below. You never cease to amaze me. Well, you know. I guess that's what makes Never a dull moment. marriage interesting. So, with all of that being said, we are talking about Chapter 2. Of Light of the Jedi. Of Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. Do you want to actually... Starts off with drumroll. Am I doing the drumroll? No, never mind. Oh, okay. Outer, <laughs> it starts off in the Outer Rim, the Hetzel system. Two and a half hours to impact it's pages 16 through 22 the opening line is marvin getter was ready don't forget scantech third class yes. very specific constantly when talking about marvin getter he is a scantech third class which basically means that all he does all day long is um so being a scantech third class all marvin getter does all day long is watch his little icons go up on the screen because they're coming into the system and um, and watches little icons go off the screen whenever they leave the system. Which, you know, this to me was a, a, a just a concept I never I never grasped, I guess, or never thought that Star Wars had was the fact that there was people monitoring. Yeah. Coming and going. I, I just, during the whole Empire phase, it just never dawned on me that that would have been a thing that was happening. Yeah, and I mean, that makes sense. During the Clone Wars, you'd have, like, the Separatist or, you know, the Republic blocking hyperspace lanes. Um, I'm pretty sure. At, at least to certain worlds um, in order to, you know, basically cut them off. Um, but this is what's interesting about Mervyn Getter 
being a scan tech and introducing um, Val Karen later on, or Val Karen later on, who's a Scantec second class, is it kind of puts you in the mind of the individuals who are actually in the business. So the first chapter, you had a pilot piloting the Legacy Run. Now you have somebody who deals directly with um, hyperspace uh, technicalities, and you know it kind of goes into the regulatory fashions that. Each planet may have concerning like hyperspace, for example. So I thought that was a really fascinating touch. So, but I want to note that it starts off with Mervyn Getter was ready. Just like, um, you know, the first chapter was like, everything's fine. Well, and that's something that continues on in this, you know, it was a pretty boring day. Yeah. You know, everything was pretty typical. But when Marvin Getter was ready, he's more so ready to clock out for the day because he is so enthralled with a scarlet red skinned uh, Twi'lek, Twi'lek, however you say it, depending on who's saying it. I like to say Twi'lek. Uh, that serves him ale, a local ale, three to four nights a week uh, on the rooted moon of the Hetzal system. Now, first time, really, my understanding that we even see the Hetzal system. Yes. Um, Canonically, I could not find it on the map. Right. Um, You know, there's a lot of Star Wars maps out there, and none of them that I found even has the Hetzal system located on there. Um, It says here, pretty blasted far out on the rim, sadly distant from the bright lights and interesting worlds of the Republic Corps. So it's it's kind of like they're not only um, not only is it a typical day they're on an unassuming outer rim planet. It says later on in the chapter that there there's literally nothing valuable. All of these the three livable uh, planetary bodies in the system have is food production, um, but it does make note that Hedsol Prime is trying to grow this thing called Bacta. Bacta. Yeah. Um, so this is the first time chronologically that you even hear of Bacta. Um, but they have not figured out at this point how to um, grow it in mass quantities in order to actually have the Bacta tanks. Which is an interesting concept because in the first chapter they had Navi computers, which were kind of outdated and they weren't very reliable when it came to hyperspace. Mm-hmm. Instead of having astromech droids, which had the navigational charts like already plugged in, so there's sophistication later on when it comes to hyperspace. So you have a system in the first chapter that basically describes uh, navigation as basically almost useless, um, or in the very uh, worst, bad. And then here, what you have is um, an introduction to Bacta, which you know, is just now coming into play. So they're so they're slowly juxtaposing, you know, this era to like what we see in the Age of the Republic, for example. But something I do want to note is that Marvin Getter was a Miri Allen. Yes, uh, a Miri Allen that he, his species comes from the planet Muriel. I think that's how you pronounce it, which is a Muriel. desert planet located on the outer rim. Um, some notable Miri Allens because. I, all I saw was Miri Allen, and I was like, what? I've never heard of this species. But actually, yeah. actually, we have. Yeah. We have heard it quite a bit. Um, 
Most notably from the prequel trilogy, we have uh, Jedi Master Luminara Unduli. uh, And also from uh, the Clone Wars episode, we have her her Padawan, Barriss Offrey, who uh, frames Ahsoka. Yes. Um, Is it Offrey or Offie? Offie, O-F-F-E-E, Offie then? Yeah. Offie, yeah. Um, and then we also have Mace Windu's master, um, whose name was Sislin Mir. Uh, and then also we have the seventh sister, which you see in the Rebels animated show. Yeah, she's uh, the weird psycho who's like, you're going to tell me stuff, and Ezra outsmarts her because she's dumb. Right, and I, I had a, like a... A conspiracy theory is like, ooh, what if the seventh sister is Barris? But they look nothing alike, so that would not be the case whatsoever. Be cool, but not the case. Also, something to note about it it pretty much being unassuming and pretty much the chapter saying they're far out to the outer rim. They say this in one paragraph, but the paragraph before, even though they're far out on the outer rim... They still hear Chancellor So's big so uh, big slogan, which is "We are all the Republic," and people believed it. Mm-hmm. So you can slowly see Chancellor So and the Republic's influence on the Outer Rim as of this moment. Correct. Uh, we are also introduced to uh, the Twi'lek Sela, but we don't we don't really see her. No. We just know of her through. Marvin Getter or Mervin. It's Mervin. Sorry, I, Mervin. Keep, I keep saying Marvin. Marvin sounds uh, weird. <laughs> Marvin. Martian? Mervin. Martian. Mar- Marvin the Martian. Uh, Mervin. Uh, we see Sela through Mervin's uh, viewpoint, I guess. Um, he finally has the courage to ask out Sela tonight. Uh, yes. He had found some place where they could go away that's away from the tavern she works at and he was so excited to go and uh ask her out and they they really emphasize this constantly how excited he is to go and do something tonight and showing all his hopes and dreams and we shall get to that Which it's funny because you know you know he he notes that he finds uh or she finds him inexplicably interesting um but even though nothing of interest really ever happens you know of course another foreshadowing but the way he romanticizes her is kind of the way the novel that uh that vel vel uh vel karen is reading so the the jedi romance novels that is this is something i i'm so very intrigued so, about so not only is there a juxtaposition to how he feels about Sela, there's a juxtaposition about how people view jedi which is kind of funny because you know and the last Jedi will get there in ten years, but you know one of Luke's big points or uh, big uh, selling points is that you know that the Jedi were romanticized and deified. Mm-hmm. So this you kind of you kind of see in literature and in pop culture the they're, Jedi they're quite literally romanticized. Yes, yes. I had the same thought when reading this about the Jedi romance novels about the the exact line that you know Luke says yeah. in Last Jedi, and it's quite quite hilarious that i was to tweet that exact quote today oh did you i did i'm gonna pull it up so that i can read it in fully because oh dear lord um i just love it oh so much 
So he says, now that they're extinct, the Jedi are romanticized, deified. But if you strip away the myth and look at their deeds, the legacy of the Jedi is failure, hypocrisy, hubris. At the height of their powers, they allowed Darth Sidious to rise, create the Empire, and wipe them out. It was a Jedi master who was responsible for the training and creation of Darth Vader. Which that last line was, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that spoiler territory going into, like, you know, the, the rise of the Empire and the the rise of the new or the age of the new republic but yeah it stands in a contrast how the jedi are shown here because once avar chris is introduced not future spoilers you will see like that avar is what the true embodiment of a jedi should be she's romantic and i don't mean that in like the lovey-dovey sensor the like lovey-dovey sensor like the sexual sexualization of the character i mean like she's very romantic when it comes to the force she's very personal so you will see on an individual jedi basis that these jedi are actually quite you know romanticized well by the way they interact with the force it's my understanding that that's like an extra power she has where she can like personally interact with it of some sort we'll get there i'm not okay gonna, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna dive into that but the way jedi feel about the force or how they interpret the force is very romantic so technically like the jedi and the people who read about the jedi are on the same page here no pun intended but when it comes to the prequel trilogy and when the wars start that's where you see that do you know the concept is better than the execution, if you will. Okay. Not talking about the prequel trilogy, but I mean like right. the idea of the Jedi. So um, so back to Sela, <laughs> yes, the, the Twi'lek. So like I said, what we know about her comes from Mervyn. However, I'm kind of under the impression with how much they talked about her yeah. and about her being on the rooted moon. I think it's kind of sort of foreshadowing seeing her later on. I could be completely wrong. Um, and you don't have to tell me yes or no. I don't remember. Well, when it comes to all these books, I don't personally actually read these books when they come out because I don't have time. That's why we're doing it chapter by chapter and we're so romantically involved with it, if you will. <laughs> um, I listen to the audiobook, so I pick up on the big things and all the nuances I kind of, you know, drop at the right. first sign. So, yeah. So I'll be, I'll be interested to see if she comes back. However, while looking her up and, you know, researching a little bit more about... Twi'leks, you know, Mervyn did say that she would talk to him about how she would decorate her Laku. And I believe that's how you spell it, say it. L-E-K-K-U. Laku. Yeah. Or uh, Laku. Or La- yeah. However you say it. So I started searching up Laku or Laku. And um, these are actually what um, I used to call them threadrolls. They are also called. Um, For Ahsoka species. Right, they're also there's another name for it. Um, I don't know, I can't remember it. But this is technically what the head tails of the species of Twi'lek, Tor, Tor, Torgu, Torgretta, Ahsoka's species. Torgretta. Torgretta. Um, and then also a new species that we only see in Rise of Skywalker ever. It's called the Ozilanzo or. Or 
What species is this? Are you looking at my notes? No, I'm I'm curious to know. They it's and it's only in the males. Uh, how do you spell it? O Z R. Yeah. E L A N S O. I don't even see them in my skywalker. I thought that's where it was. In the visual dictionary. It's in the visual dictionary? Of Rise of Skywalker, but you don't see You them. don't actually ever see them then? No. Okay, so what they are is they have horns and then they have these little thread rolls or head tails. What is really, truly fascinating to me about their lacoos is their organs to these species and can severely harm the species or that, that specific um, being if they are injured like any other part of your body but like more so like organs that we would have in our chest cavity it's more like that to them it could severely harm them very sensitive parts of your body so it's interesting to see that like um what's her name Hera Sandula her yeah. and her father both have them tattooed yeah so they went through the very severe pain of getting it tattooed because I was I'm not, I'm not sure why they did it, but it is interesting to know that they did it and still, you know, took in all that pain in order to do so. Yes. So, um, not necessarily going off of what you said because you went... Uh, I went way it. out there. Yeah. Oh, with great length. Uh, when we are interested to Vel Karen, uh, she's actually pretty irresponsible. She's reading this uh, book on company time or supposedly reading this book on company time. Uh, she doesn't know how to do an analysis because the system updated and she never bothered to learn it. See, I noted that she is quite literally useless when it comes to her well, job. Well, what's funny about you saying that is she's the one that suggests that they need to sound the alarm. Yes, and you know they wouldn't have done it and wouldn't have been able to warn you know billions of people. I think it it's noted it's like forty billion people. Yeah, forty billion people just look up in fear whenever they set off the alarm. Yes. So, I mean, uh, you know, he pretty much wants to get through a shift, and he's like, you know what? Since she's above me and she's lazier, she's not going to let me because I do all the work for her. Mm -hmm. um, some things start popping up on the system, but nothing is scheduled to pop up at that time. And then 10 more things appeared. I mean, they basically go through the checks. Is it asteroids? Obviously not, because at that velocity... You know, it's from hyperspace. And they also note that they did not have drive signatures. No. So, that, I mean, all, all they can think of is that it could be something like an asteroid because there is no drive signature. And that they were significantly smaller. So, I mean, what they do is they uh, run an analysis and then they track the tra tra trajectories. Or the projectiles. Trajectories. Yes. And they found out that there's 42 anomalies. Initially. Yes. Initially, 42 anomalies. All moving at basically light speed. To determine what it is. And they're like, the Republic's at peace. Like, it, it couldn't be somebody starting a war. Like, everybody is happy with what's going on, technically, according to, you know, Mervyn and Vel. They think yes. everything's A-OK. -okay. And again, we're in the outer rim. So, perspective. Way, way away from things yeah. that... You know, people would be upset about. And they, I mean, he kind of goes into a little bit more about the, how they have two inhabitable moons, the fruited and rooted, which are just weird names. See, my theory on that is since 
they're most known for food production. Yeah, I think the fruited, the fruited is grown, and the rooted is that they are growing. See, I think fruited is it's more so fruit. Rooted would be more so root vegetables like potatoes and carrots. Maybe, I don't but know. <laughs> they don't really specify. I mean, all 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 it specifies is that you know uh, it has some gas giants and frozen balls of rock. And it was just like uh, the farmers and all the things they grew, and that they just really note that the uh, the the Hetzel uh, system just really like exports food to the outer rim. It, it's I mean it doesn't do anything else. I, I mean they they mentioned that there was a, a famous singer that came from Hetzel Prime, but she was living off on Alderan and yeah, you know Alderan. Why 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 would they be coming after a famous singer like Alderan? I can't go to Alderan. <laughs> I've got work to do. You must do what your fellows right, of course. Um, yes. But you know, ta- talking about Vel initially um, and how you know she was the one that suggested um, sending off the signal and everything. But what I what I really really did like is that I also listened to I listened to the audiobook one time and then I go and reread it like I don't even know how many times I reread this. By the way, sorry for interrupting you. Uh Mark Thompson kills it when he does uh start reading Vil Karen. I noted that he sounds just like Jack Black from Jumanji. And he's like, but I know Oh when he's playing as Bethany. Yeah, when he's playing as Bethany. So I I had to note that. See I, I what I was getting at and what I was noting is that in the audiobook she sounds like a ditz. You don't you don't really get that if you're reading it, but the way that he does her voice and, you know, he does sound like Jack Black playing a girl, like she sounds like, "Oh my god." What, but what's funny though is as the chapter goes on and projectiles start coming, he doesn't play her as a ditz anymore. Like it's almost as if she's like portraying herself as dumb because she's lazy, but when there's uh, an idea and probably the truth. When things hit the fan... She actually knows what she's doing? She she snaps out of it. And she's like, oh my god, we have to sound the alarm. So, um, I mean, basically. Also, uh, some more stuff here is, you know, as basically Mervyn is uh, talking about hyperspace and tracking these things, we are also learning about these things. It's very important to note that. First, we start with a pilot and then we start with uh, an individual who knows about tracking things in hyperspace access zone. So, yeah. And uh, these anomalies, uh, they they weren't slowing down near light speed. It didn't really it didn't really matter what they hit. They would basically go, um, and that they actually hit a communication satellite. Well, right. So when it's talking about hitting the communication satellite, if I can get it. So he says, as he watched, one of the objects smashed through an uncrewed communication satellite. Both the anomaly and the satellite vanish. And I noted it's like, it's like, you know, especially in the audiobook, when they say vanished, it kind of goes silent. Like there's some music in there, and then it kind of just goes silent. Like both of these things were completely vaporized. And it says it vanished from his screen, and the galaxy got itself a little bit more space dust. So to me, it's like when this projectile hit the satellite, it's like they both just vaporized. Which, which is funny. Oh, sorry. Sorry for interjecting. No, you're good. Go. Uh, Speaking of space dust, every time I think of space dust, I always think of Carl Sagan. Okay. You don't, do you know who Carl Sagan is? I have heard you talk about him. Anyway, he has a book about pseudoscience. Oh, God. And 
he he refers to all of us as space dust. Basically, we're nothing. Like, and it's and it's almost like this anomaly in itself is pseudoscience. It's like it's too crazy to be real. It defies all science and all explanations. So well, we are reading a book about that is science fiction. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> yes, but what I'm saying is is I like the phrase space dust put here. You know, in reference to Carl Sagan, in reference to pseudoscience, like almost juxtaposing pseudoscience with this anomaly that's happening right now. So I really like that. Sorry. Um, so initially, you know, we, we see 42 anom- anomalies that are not astro- asteroids, don't have drive signatures. They're moving too fast. So when he zooms out and looks at the system-wide view, you know, quite literally of the entire head soul system, he th- there's there's too many anomalies that come up on a screen like yeah. way too many and many of them were headed to the inhabited planetary bodies and their orbiting uh stations it basically says like head is big enough that it could take a few but, but like but the people on it yeah. wouldn't survive yeah. and it's the same with both the moons like it they'd all be done for and yeah. and they they mention on the last page you know it is 40 billion people because I was like, when it talks about Vel, you know, getting some semblance of command returning to her and says, you know, they're, they're trying to get out. And she says, but we need to send a system wide alert first. We have to. And Mervyn closed his eyes for a moment, then opened them again. You're right. Of course, the computer needs authorization codes from both of us to activate the system wide alert. In this small little excerpt towards the end of chapter two, I first had said, I had made a note and I said, uh, they are quite literally putting their lives at risk to hopefully save millions. And then I keep reading and I was like, oh crap, let me go back and change that to billions. Because I didn't realize there was 40 billion people on these three inhabited moons or the three inhabited planetary bodies. What's funny and a little bit of foreshadowing, um, a little bit before in the chapter, he says... And I quote, in the off chance that something unusual occurred with his job, he was to notify people more significantly mm-hmm. important than he was. So, yeah. a little bit of... Which he, they, they, they do do. Do do. <laughs> I'm a child. Do do. Um, at Vel's recommendation. Right. Which, at first initial glance, you would not have guessed that. No. That, that she would have been the one to do this. Um, you know, and, and getting... And, you know, towards the end, after the 40 billion people, he does mention, you know, that 40 billion people just looked up in fear when they heard the the alarm go off, and he still gets in there. One of them was a lovely scarlet-skinned Twi'lek, wondering whether her favorite Mary Allen was going to come by the tavern that evening. And just as he's thinking this, and they're going to get on the shuttle, what else happens? It says, a gout of flame and the anomaly vanished along with the... The monitoring station, it's two scan techs and all their goals, fears, skills, hopes, and dreams. The kinetic energy of the object, atomizing everything it touched in less than an instant. Which, using goals, fears, skills, hopes, and dreams really humanizes the entire anomaly that's going on right now. Especially with him dreaming about the Mary Allen. Especially with her reading about romanticized Jedi so I feel like it, it all interconnects with not only like, uh, you know, some aspects with the, the core worlds and the Republic, but it also connects to the fact that, hey, these guys or these people are just human 
or not necessarily human, they're people. Sentient beings. <laughs> they're, they're people, and they're just doing this job on the same they would do every single day. The only difference here is that they happen to save some people. So... And, you know, I, I had noted that it was it was so sudden and that their deaths were so sudden. And, you know, technically they became space dust. Yes. And it was just insane how it was just over. But, like, that's a very real concept that really does happen. And the whole goals, fears, skills, hopes, and dreams, that just, like, grabbed my heart and ripped it out. See, I think, you know, I mentioned in the previous chapter that Charles Soule is extremely efficient with his writing. And one of the things, I like this chapter better than the first because you can't necessarily connect with a pilot or military experience. But here you can connect about fantasizing about a person that you want to ask on a date. So imagine, you know, you, you fantasize about that and you're going to do it and then you can never do it. Yeah, you're... you're- your dream of doing it. Like he had, Your last he had thought. finally gained the courage to do it and never able to do it. Like your last thought is about that girl you were going to ask out. And that's it. And you're done. Um, one other thing I did notice was he had mentioned um, about a safety zone. And I was kind of curious about it where it's on page 20. Uh, it says Mervyn could see that the things, whatever they might be, were not restricting themselves to entering the system from the safety of the hyperspace access zone. So th- this yeah. to me just kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about how I, I wasn't aware of like these things, the monitoring, you know, coming and going. So, you know, I had two questions. It's like, what is the safety zone? First of all, um, because, it made me think of um, Force Awakens when Han's like, oh, I can get us onto onto the planet, but you're not going to like it. He doesn't go to any safety zone. No, he is quite literally hyperspace right up to that point. So does every system have this safety zone and are they all alerted if something happens? But like... I would assume so because that's what... That's what this chapter does really well, right? It goes into the um, perspective of somebody who runs something like this. So a civilized world would have something like this to protect its citizens from, ironically, hyperspace. So, you know, I know planet or star killer base, planet killer base, star killer base basically was on the planet Ilum, which didn't, you know, it was uninhabited essentially um, before the First Order took it over. But... Would the First Order not have had they a did. system like this, like, knowing that... They did. Then how did they not know that Han was they, there? They had, like, a... It's mentioned in the movie that there's, like, a refraction zone where, basically, if you're if you're not moving at a certain speed or if you're not welcomed into the planet, then you'll basically burst in the atmosphere. So that's why Han has to light speed in because if he light speeds in, he can pass the, like, refraction point you know but like could they not have did they not realize that hey there's this hyperspeed this this thing moving at hyperspeed going in or is that just a, a, a something that we have to accept here's the thing here's the thing <laughs> we're talking about the high republic in light of the jedi but how asinine does it sound that you somehow jump 
into light speed and then pull out a light speed at the exact time that you need to. That is, no, that is. Yeah, you just have to accept it. It's possible okay. deniability. Okay. You know, so. I mean, I'll, I guess I will accept it in this moment. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, do you have anything else to add to chapter two? No, I mean, I, I've gone all Great over chapter. all of my notes. It, it was, you know. Slow build up. Very slow build up. And I, I, it's my understanding that's how this book goes. It, it takes different perspectives from all over the place. Uh, and I don't know why I'm thinking of this. We went over point of view this week in my class and third person limited and omniscient. And I'm like, this is definitely omniscient. Oh my gosh. All the different viewpoints. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, and you know what's so great about these first uh, intro chapters all the way till chapter whatever is they kill people off because billions of people die. Doesn't matter what the Jedi do, even if they get involved, billions of people still die. And that's what's so great about this is you could say, listen, we are all the Republic. It is a it is a time of high consistency for the Republic. Um, but, but, bad things will happen and you have to see how the Republic deals with that. So I really like the fact that they're, they introduce stakes immediately and they're like, listen, Billions of people are dying. This is no joke. So, great chapter. I figured we'll head over to our book club and see what our book club friends had to say about chapter two. Yes, we got a bunch of new members on the book club. If you want to be a part of the book club, head over to uh, the Wayfinder Pod. Ask to be on the book club, and then guess what? You're on the book club. So As uh, long as you follow our guidelines. Uh, Daniel Marino... Moreno, I hope I pronounced that right, said, I found it funny how the Jedi novels, uh, I found it funny how there are Jedi novels in the High Era Republic. <laughs> right? They are romanticized. Kicks. I was going to read. Kick, kicks and sticks. Inva- kicks and sticks. Vader thoughts next, but go oh, ahead. Oh, well, they, they said that they would totally uh, read one of the Jedi romance novels if they published it in, published an in-universe book. What if the book was uh, from a romantic Jedi, from the perspective? That would be a god. And he's like, a, he's like a, what is it, Twi'lek, and he's like French, you know? Oh, uh, gosh. <laughs> Vader Thought says, the second chapter was really, really good, too. And I like what that guy Garrick said. It was going so nicely, and then d- disaster strikes. I think the book does a great job of making this galaxy-wide event feel a bit more personal by introducing us to and developing characters who are affected before they end up dying. Um, that guy Garrick, aka Ben Doing Snap, says, I love how chapter two focuses on a regular person, Mervyn Getter, and his life. A little backstory about the Gill singer, Eloria Days, adds some nice color to the galaxy's culture. And of course, everything goes horribly wrong. I hope Stella ended up surviving. And that's, that's all we have. What? Was that it? Was that all we had? Yes, we have more members, uh, you know, but other they're busy and uh, they're busy and they'll catch up with us. And we will, you know, definitely be getting more input as chapters go on. So with that being said, again, another great chapter by Charles Soule. This is just a great book all over. We're going to have nothing but praise and deep dive for this books and the nuances. So with that being said, I was going to say the dead speak, <laughs> the dead speak.